السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگس واللہ بی اپان یو آل ویلکم ونس اگین ہیئر ان ڈرائیو ٹائم شو یو لسننگ ٹو انیک الرحمن اینڈ آئی ہیو جوائن بائی ڈاکٹر طارق باچو ہیئر ان دی لنڈن اسٹوڈیو وائس آف اسلام السلام علیکم پیس بی اپان یو السلام پیس بی اپان یو ایز ویل اینڈ ٹو آل آر لسنرز آئی ہوپ یو آر انجوائنگ دا ویدر آئی تھنک از ناٹ ٹو بیڈ لائک ارلیئر دس Yes, I think it's uh, <coughs> good weather after a while. It's been windy. It was uh, cold and uh, everybody, was, everybody was praying uh, to see, to, to come down a little bit. Moving back, uh, as we know that, uh, as you know, that we'll discuss one topic in each hour. Today we'll be discussing another important topic, which is related to education, learning for lasting peace. We'll discuss, we'll discuss. uh take some guest on this topic who will be discussing this topic and giving us more insight into it and giving or enlightening us what they have uh, understand have understanding of this and this particular I will be discussing that for this you can call us on our number and uh you can uh dial 02086877878 and you can tweet at voice of islam uk i'll repeat the number once again You can call on 02086877878. As we quite a fi- we are quite unfortunately living in a troubled times, conflict, chaos and violence around the globe continues to escalate along with an alarming rise in discrimination, racism and hate speech. The repercussion of the violence extend beyond geographical religious and political boundaries manifesting both offline and online therefore a dedicated commitment to peace is now more urgent than ever and education is central to this endeavor today the 24th of january is proclaimed as international day of education by the un general assembly and and the theme for this year's is learning for lasting peace i think it's very important especially the day and age we're living in we need to understand what is true peace and how we can make it last forever i think you just uh, must have heard the news that uh, you know that there has been a warning given that you know one should be um, alone particularly those living in britain and they have been warned by the um, by the officials that they should be ready and prepare themselves for uh, an imminent war so that's something worrying and i think very it's very very appropriate topic uh, to discuss that if our education does not um take us to thinking about how to avoid a war how to bring peace to the world and uh, uh, there's no point you know if if you are you are being educated but you can't you can't think about it you can't foresee what is happening despite the warnings that has been given particularly by the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad may Allah be his helper he has for many many years now he has been saying he has been warning that you know you need to come to the to your creator leave your vested interests think big think on the international levels how it is going to affect the universe to affect the world um do not just think about your own country about your own nation about your own people think widely in terms of uh, on the international level how the things what you do are going to 
have an impact on generally all the uh, different countries of the world. And, uh, you know, try to ha- to be helpful, try to be empathic, try to be um, there for those people who are suffering rather than creating disorder, creating trouble, creating um, a lot of cruelties, uh, atrocities against the people who are many, many of them are just innocent people, normal children, women. Uh, and we are seeing that is happening all over the world, different parts of the world. We can't forget Palestine where, you know, it is like there is no end to it. You know, you just imagine if you're sitting there and, uh, you know, these people, they are praying to God Almighty for to, to come for their help. There's nobody to listen to them. Even the Muslims, no leadership has, um, you know, openly condemned the attacks being, uh, you know, constantly uh, bombing of uh, of Palestine, and it's not uh, only Palestine. It's so many other countries as well throughout the world. If you look at Yemen, look at Syria, look at all the other Muslim countries, they have been particularly the targets uh, for these atrocities all over the world. So somebody needs to um, speak up, stand up against these uh, atrocities. Um, of course, uh, you know, we, we've got United Nations and the, it is the United Nations General Assembly who has uh, fixed this day, 24th of January, as the inter- International Day of Education. And if, you know, and the theme, of course, is learning for lasting peace. So what are we doing about it? What is, you know, what, what is our education taking us where is it taking us to? So we have to think about it and we have to do something about it. At least we can raise our voice. And the voice of Islam is one organ which is always raising this voice. Uh, and and this voice, of course, comes through the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmad. May Allah be his helper. He has, he has traveled through the world, going individually to different countries, um, you know, giving his message personally to the to the leaders. He has also given the message in writing to people. He has called on telephone. He has spoken to the heads of states. And he has conveyed this message that, you know, you have to come um, to, to do something about this, um, you know, imminent war, which we can, we can face. And it's a World War Three. And it is something which is uh, takes you to very dismal future. So you have to think something about it, do something about it. So that's what uh, we are talking about today on Voice of Islam um, uh, Drive Time Show. And uh, if you have an opinion, you want to raise your concern, please ring us up on 0208. Uh, 6877878 and you can join us uh, in our discussion we'll, we will be having some guests as well who will be speaking on the topic uh, and also some uh, we will we will uh, play some audios as well from from the head of our community who about whom I have mentioned that he has said so many things about this that we should come to uh, to find a solution of the problems of the world and to stop the disorder, to create peace in the world. You're very much right, uh, Dr. Tariq Bajwa. I've seen myself, people sometime, you know, when he used to go to different places and mentioning about the peace and which he could see basically where people are heading towards, where nations are heading towards. And sometimes you think why when he's speaking on these topics, there's peace around us, but he could see which was what's been happening behind the scenes. If Absolutely. we've been, you know, not just, then indeed a day would come where we see that we cannot restore peace. And that's what we we are seeing right now. 
And <coughs> in in Central London, when we did the uh, you know, Stop World War Three uh, War of March, even there campaign, pe- yeah. campaign, even people were looking at like strangely why even the uh, MJ uh, community why, why is doing, doing it. That, yeah. I, I, I remember attending one of the peace symposia yeah. here in, in Battle 2 where we are based, uh, the Voice of Islam Radio is based. We hold, uh, every year we hold a peace symposium. Mm. And uh, in, in uh, I remember in one of those uh, symposia, I uh, came across some of the politicians and he said, like this is this is something about six seven years ago, and he and they said, oh, uh, what is uh, what is the head of the community talking about? You know, there is no such circumstances at the moment. We can't see them, mm. and uh, what is he talking about? And then very recently, you know, last year, um, you know, I spoke to the same people, mm. and they are admitting. They say that you know he was right, and and exactly the circumstances have have come. Where now, you know, there is no uh, like uh, veil in between uh, the circumstances. Everybody can see um, that this is happening and everybody is now warning that this, these things can happen. So one has to do something about it. Indeed, indeed. Uh, as our listeners know, we are discussing education learning for lasting peace. Uh, now we're going to go to our first guest, Mark uh, Vinius, who's with us, uh, who is the CEO at Proliteracy. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Mark, to start off, could you please tell our listeners uh, about Proliteracy and what is it that you guys do? Sure, thank you. Um, well, Proliteracy, we're the world's leader in adult education practice. We focus heavily on practice because that's really where the rubber hits the road. You know, we support uh, programs in the U.S. and around the world, building capacity of their literacy programs. So we support small community-based programs, large adult ed programs, as well as programs in Egypt, Africa, South America, Mexico, all over the world. Um, So what do we do? We provide a significant amount of comprehensive training and professional learning. We do webinars, online virtual ongoing support for instructors, administrators. Um, we have a peer-reviewed journal at ProLiteracy for number many years, and we look to provide accessible research that's really actionable So practice. We want to make sure we can help practitioners really improve the efficacy of their work and the efficiency of their instruction. Um, we provide a lot of grant support. Uh, to two programs and all over the world. And we have a New Readers Press, which is our publishing division in which we create uh, leading edge digital and print resources that we provide to programs all over the world. Right, right, great. Uh, so Mark, why is there a pressing need uh, for other literacy programs? Well, if we look at the numbers, I mean, just within the US alone, um, there's 48 million in the U.S. that are reading below a third grade level. In the U.K., uh, you know, that I mean, that statistic is about 20% of adults in the U.S., and it's about the same in the U.K. Um, when we look across the world, 763 million adults worldwide are struggling with literacy. And so we look at this as a, you know, from an equity perspective and an economic mobility perspective, we know that we look, you know, according to the World Literacy Foundation, that uh, that are struggling with literacy. They earn 30 to 42% less 
than their literate peers. But we also know that when we look at the positives, that when we help build literacy skills in adults, it opens up pathways for that frontline worker, say, for example, that has such a limited future. They look at themselves and think, I'm reading at a first grade level or a second grade level, and this is it. I can't move up. And we know that by building up their literacy capacity, the upward mobility and economic mobility changes significantly. And we look at it as um, liquid, you know, definitely literacy as a right. It's an equity issue. We know that it's a foundational piece to modern life, but we also know that if you change the literacy level of a, an adult, a parent or a caregiver, we impact the lives of their children as well dramatically. Right, right. So how do you address the diverse requirements for various literacy programs, ensuring that resources are allocated appropriately to meet their specific needs? So we really, because we have both a membership, uh, we're both a membership organization, but say, for example, in the U.S., we support over 5,000 programs across the U.S., as well as programs of all different sizes here, but also around the world. And so our, we have lots of different resources. When we're involved in a project, we know that we work at really customizing the work to the needs of the program that we're supporting. We do provide a significant amount of professional learning for free or often at a low cost in, in, in some instances. Um, so programs can really access what they need. Um, 24-7 because we have a full uh, practitioner online portal. But like, say, for example, um, we have lots of resources in multiple languages because one of our co-founders uh, created programs in over 100 languages uh, throughout the world. Say, for example, Labak Way to Reading, Frank Labak is one of our co-founders. Um, we have Labak Way to Reading in Arabic, and we could think about globally we have a program called Feeding Minds uh, Youth Literacy Program in Egypt, and it's a partnership with Anba Musa Al-Aswad Association, and, and that's funded through the Yum Foundation and KFC, but we've done a large amount of customization just for that program in a way, um, working closely with our local providers, supporting them with professional learning. Um, it's a lot about engaging with programs and knowing what their needs are and then supporting them so they can reach success for their uh, instructors as well as the learners. Mm -hmm. So what role does technology play in added literacy programs and how can it be you know, leveraged to increase accessibility and motivation for added learners? So um, you could tell us from your perspective if, if your uh, experience sort of works with what we found in the U.S. So prior to COVID, we would say that in the, in the sort of elementary and middle and high school space, digital tools were prevalent, and I would say in the younger grades, much less used. In adult literacy, because that, you know, it, the funding is less, the, the access to digital tools was much less. It was, it was virtually, I would say, minimal. It was small. But what we loved is that when we looked at the, when, when our programs, not only in the U.S., but around the world, were faced with this concept of distance learning, 95% of programs immediately adopted 
digital tools, and, and they're here to stay. We know that digital tools are a part of everyday life, and in order for adults to be successful, they not only need to be literate, but they need, you know, as far as like reading, comprehension, understanding complex concepts and texts, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's looking at a, um, a utility statement or a contract, but at work it's complex as well. And so they need to not only have reading and language literacy, but they need digital literacy. So as we look at the, the landscape of adult literacy now, um, we know that programs are using digital learning to really engage learners um, in whether they're coming into a program. And what we found is that one of the biggest barriers for adult learners to engage in adult learning is often commuting, trying to transportation and getting to the, the school uh, or the program when maybe they're working one or two jobs. And so what we have found is an engagement level of so many adults through distance learning, where it's virtual tutors, virtual instructors, um, and then they can engage with their digital tools 24-7. Um, we have digital tools that we, that we really support, uh, like Learning Upgrade, Engine. We have uh, Podemos Layar, uh, which is a Spanish, because there's so many uh, Spanish-speaking second language learners in the U.S. Um, and around the world in our programs in South America as well. So we know that digital tools are here to stay within the adult literacy world, but more importantly, we know that it's a barrier if our adults are not digital literate as well. Very much right. Um, <clears throat> Mark, at the end, can you elaborate on the relationship between literacy levels and the potential for reducing conflict and promoting social cohesion? Yeah, most certainly. Um, one of our co-founders, Dr. Frank Laubach, um, he has this quote that we often quote, and he says, the ability to read is the key to the door of the world and through them to a world of understanding instead of fear, hate, and superstition. Um, and both Ruth and one of our other um, co-founders, uh, Ruth Colvin, both traveled and worked around the world, um, bringing literacy as a tool for understanding one another, and we believe that that's critical. Um, like our program, our Feeding Minds program in Egypt, we're supporting um, young adults and hopefully removing the barriers and limitations of both literacy and poverty and hardship and helping them uh, engage in a much larger world um, through literacy. Very much right. Thank you very much, Mark, for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I hope our listeners have benefited from this. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, have a nice evening. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. having me. So you were listening to Mark uh, Vinyas, uh, who joined us today, who was CEO at Pro Literacy, and gives us more insight on the programs they are having. Going back to the discussion we were having before uh, our first guest, that the Khalif of Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been going around to the world and, you know, uh, drawing the attention of world leaders towards peace and telling them that how to have a true peace. And the topic we're discussing, again, it's related to learning for lasting peace. And as the learning is one of the key aspects and if we discuss, we'll be discussing in depth that how, how many people are illiterate and how many people are in the world who needs to, you know, have education. But one of the very important things is that when, if we are 
we, you know there are many around us or one uh, ourselves we are uh, we have educated we have learned but even then sometimes we don't understand what's going on around us learning is a process but we have to understand and comprehend and you know have a deep understanding of everything that how things are going around us that's how we can have a true peace uh, within within the surrounding so the role of education emerges as a beacon of hope and transformative force capable of uh, you know stirring societies toward lasting peace when the holy quran was revealed to the holy prophet peace be upon him upon him the very first instruction by allah the almighty was recite in the name of thy lord who created everything he created man from a clot of blood who has taught by the pen taught man that which he knew not so these are the first verses which were revealed on the holy prophet peace be upon him and the holy quran start you know begin from from this uh, verse and one of the important thing is that god almighty has taught by the pen he taught which we knew not so the learning in any case regardless of religious or worldly uh, knowledge is very important and education is you know is a key aspect to have understanding of everything if we want to have a true and lasting peace we have we have to have a true understanding of everything we have to have education to you know understand what's going on around us and to do something which create a long lasting peace looking at the statistics uh, as we mentioned earlier about the literacy rate in the world around the globe 250 million children and youth are out of school and 763 million adults are illiterate for something that is a basic human right these numbers are quite alarming the united kingdom has an average dropout rate of 6.4% and according to one study students from ethnic minority groups and disadvantaged backgrounds in the uk are more likely to drop out than other students some of the causes of illiteracy include economic disparities gender inequality conflict and political instability acquiring knowledge extends beyond obtaining a degree or securing employment it encompasses personal development nurtures awareness and understanding and equips individuals with critical skills that can be effectively employed for the improvement of others this is why islam lays emphasis on learning the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him established a rule that prisoners of war could earn their freedom by teaching muslim children his uh, peace be upon him focus was not to keep slaves or earn money by selling them rather he prioritized the education of the young ones or those who were illiterate the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him stated uh, and i quote the word of wisdom is the lost property of a muslim so that wherever he finds it he should take it as he is most entitled to it um unquote this is from tirmizi one of the books of ahadith the traditions of the holy prophet project literacy formed as a global coalition of ngos and organizations are trying to put literacy within everyone's reach and they have highlighted 26 reasons why literacy is a solution to our current issues uh, called the alphabet of literacy it is a painful yet eye opening campaign showing what literacy leads to 
I suppose we have our next guest. Let's uh, um, speak to him first and then we'll carry on. Yes, uh, we have Emily Jack, uh, who is a CEO of Bookmark Reading Charity. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. And thank you much, very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. Emily, to start off, uh, could you please tell us about Bookmark Reading Charity and what initiatives do you offer to instill a love reading? Um, yes, I'd love to. So we are Bookmark Reading Charity. and uh, We were founded in 2018 and we were set up to help children with their reading. So we partner with primary schools to help children um, who need us the most with volunteer-led reading programs and also partner with primary schools to offer book grants, uh, books, uh, teacher training, a whole range of service lines to help um, boost the school's literacy levels. Um, this is because I do. This is because uh, one in four children currently in primary school in England unable to read well. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the reasons children may be struggling with reading? Why they might, um, well, the cost of living crisis for mm. one, and children not being read to at home. So, um, that's a big problem. And disadvantaged children um, who achieve highly at the end of primary school are twice as likely to have been read to at home in their early years compared to their peers. So our volunteer-led reading programs help to combat that because it's one-to-one support within schools. And with the current budget cuts, our volunteers take the pressure off schools um, due to the lack of teaching assistance. Mm, very much right. One other thing I would like to ask, why is it uh, crucial to foster a love for reading in children? And what long-term benefits does cultivating this interest have on their academic success and personal development? Um, So reading for pleasure has been linked to better mental health, but it also has been linked to um, school attainment at school and doing well. So the impact of reading for pleasure is four times more powerful in progress in vocabulary, maths and spelling um, when a child is 16 than that of parental education or parental socioeconomic status. So reading for pleasure really is important in order to do well at school. Um, so how do you tailor your reading programs to engage children from diverse backgrounds, considering factors such as socioeconomic status, cultural differences, or learning abilities? Um, so our reading um, programs are aimed to help all children, but we go into areas um, where child deprivation is high and literacy levels are low. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps us um, addressing those issues. And so typically children on our, our reading programs are at pupil premium. But the other thing is is that we, we our volunteers are trained up and they will identify what the reader likes to, what the reader might like to read about or what level they're at at the start of a reading program. And then we go from there so it's tailored support. Um, so bookmark reading so if anyone listening is interested in getting involved our volunteer-led reading programs are 30 minutes twice a week and these can be done remotely or in person Um, and so we would love for you to head to our website bookmarkreading.org to find out more yeah our topic today we're discussing is uh, learning for peace uh, do you have an idea you know at the level of children do you uh, you know do you have anything that um, can sort of change the minds of people, minds of children, that they need peace and they should create peace and they should live in peace? 
Um, so we have a range of um, reading materials on our online library for volunteers to choose from, um, but not not so much. But and so we and we also provide book bundles to schools, mm-hmm. and these will be on a different genre each term. So, for example, last term was um, reading uh, non-fiction books. Um, so yes, we do have high quality, diverse books going into schools to address issues as, such as these and important topics like this. That's great. So one last question. Can you share insights into the collaborative efforts your charity makes with schools, parents, and communities to create a supportive and enriching reading environment for children? Of course. Um, So this is really important. We want to mobilize communities to help get children reading and to change their life stories. Um, So when we work with schools, we try to identify local businesses um, and areas in the community May it be um, local religious groups, uh, faith groups, uh, football clubs, whatever it might be to help find and source volunteers to go into these schools. As I said, um, reading volunteers can be online or in person. Um, And that's the collaborative work between the communities and the schools. Um, And and then our book bundles and and by providing high high quality, diverse reading material and training to teachers, we can help to create a supportive and enriching reading, reading environment for children. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for joining us uh, this afternoon. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I hope that our, our listeners have benefited out of it as well. Thank you, and have a nice evening. Thank you very much for having me, and please do have a look at bookmarkreading.org if anyone would like to volunteer. Thank you. Sure, Bye-bye. thank you. So that was uh, Emily Jack. She's the CEO of Bookmark Reading Charity. Talking about charity, you know, there is Project Literacy. I earlier spoke about it, that it was formed as a global coalition of NGOs and organizations. They are trying to put literacy within everyone's reach, and they have highlighted 26 reasons why literacy is a solution to our current issues. Called the Alphabet of Literacy, it is a painful yet eye-opening campaign showing what illiteracy leads to. For example, these are the different points, uh, some of the points. Uh, from A, A for AIDS, without knowledge, one wouldn't know how to protect themselves and others from it. B for bloodshed, as crime is high where poverty and illiteracy reside, hence bloodshed. C for child brides in areas where illiteracy is rampant. D for drug abuse, that is one of the major reasons for unrest in the society. K for Kalashnikovs, as children who are not in school are an easy target for caution into crime and terrorism. R for radicalization, as a lack of critical thinking skills and access to diverse information resources contributes to the spread of radical beliefs. Poverty, of course, is strongly linked to limited academic opportunities and a reduced ability to develop skills for lifelong learning. This, in turn, creates barriers to employment and earning potential later in life. When a significant portion of the adult population possesses inadequate literacy skills, it leads to numerous unfilled positions in various occupations as there aren't enough individuals with the necessary qualifications to meet the demands of those roles. This in turn contributes to a prolonged slowdown in long-term GDP growth. Particularly even the children who are supposed to be teaching, you know, there is always a shortage of teachers. And you need uh, need 
talented teacher. You need people who are interested in this profession. It's a dedication which is required if you want to teach somebody, particularly the children who are the your future, the future generations, basically. So um, a lot of dedication is required. And when you are uh, when you are not, uh, you know, having the vacancies where you know you can, you do have vacancies, but you you don't have people to fill up those vacancies. So then you are in trouble because you actually what is suffering is your future generation's education, which is very very important. It used to be on high priority, but gradually, you know, there are other priorities which have come in, and uh, so our own country, for example. Um, you know, you are you're giving lots of aids to people, lots of help to people, but looking inside your own home, you know, you, you look at your various services which are being provided, and uh, I think it's usually the politicians who name it, the police, the NHS, the education. These are the common things where, um, of course, more money needs to be put in here rather than, you know, going out and helping others for wars. So that that is that is what is required because that is the essential. So individuals with low levels of literacy, they are more likely to experience poorer employment opportunities and lower incomes. As a result, they often face welfare dependency, lower self-esteem, and higher levels of crime. This can create a cycle of poverty as they may not ensure an education for their child as well. Without education, of course, individuals may face challenges in participating fully in civic and political processes. This can hinder the development of an informed and engaged citizenry, crucial for maintaining a stable and peaceful society. Um, that's right. Now we're going to go to uh, one of the audio uh, clip, keynote addressed by His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad. May Allah be his helper, on which he has delivered on the 15th Annual Peace Symposium UK mentioning how radicalization takes place in the absence of education. We're going to listen to and we'll be right back after that. Countless children are seeing their parents being killed in the most inhumane fashion. And all they can do is wonder why their parents have been taken away from them. Thousands of women are left widowed, hopeless and vulnerable. What good can come out uh, come of such devastation? All I see is a, a generation of children being pushed into the arms of those who seek to destroy the peace of the world. When a young child or a teenager sees their parents taken away from them in the most barbaric way, who can blame them for reacting? I mentioned before that extremists target those immersed in poverty and they are also targeting those children or youths who have been brutalized by war. They recruit such youngsters in the knowledge that their minds are not yet mature and are easily manipulated into seeking bloody revenge through terrorism. Instead of being in school, getting an education so that they grow into decent law-abiding citizens, the only education an, <clears throat> an entire generation of children is getting 
is how to master grenades or rocket launchers, how to do suicide attacks, and how to wreak havoc in the world. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we were listening to one of the audio clip of uh, His Holiness, the Khalif of Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, where he has discussed that how important to have uh, peace and how we can gain peace within ourselves and how much education is important. Moving on, uh, I would like to present another, uh, you know, where he discussed the head of Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness, Mazamiza Masood Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, stated that our Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing for Allah be upon him, has drawn our attention towards the pursuit of education with such emphasis that he said that a person should seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. You should seek to increase your knowledge because by attaining greater knowledge, you broaden your understanding and enlighten your mind and it enables you to adopt better morals and as a, as a result, there is a greater attention towards creating a peaceful world. Through education, we can foster understanding and tolerance by exposing individuals to the to diverse perspectives, cultures, and histories, it helps break down the stereotypes and prejudice. An educated people is better, or the place equipped to engage is informed civic participation. Informed citizen are more likely to contribute to democratic processes, advocate for social justice and hold leaders accountable, fostering a stable and just society. Furthermore, education empowers you know, mar- marginalized groups, including women and minorities. Empowered individuals are more likely to participate in decision-making process contributing to social cohesion. It also plays a great role in preventing <clears throat> radicalization by promoting critical thinking media literacy and, uh, you know, non's understanding of complex issue. These skills reduce the extremist ideology. Furthermore, if we discuss what is the role of educator, educator plays an essential role in shaping child's thought process. Quite often we see examples of motivational statement, a kind gesture or a you know, th- thoughtful quote by a teacher that leaves a lasting impact on a child. In addition to cultivating critical thinking, educators are instrumental in instilling a culture of tolerance within the classroom. The model respectful behavior, valuing diversity, encouraging open dialogue. They create an inclusive atmosphere where students feel safe expressing their opinions and learning from others with different backgrounds and viewpoints. And by emphasizing the empathy and understanding, educators equip students with the tools needed to navigate an interconnected world. 
promoting not only academic excellence but also the development of empathic, tolerant and globally aware citizen. Now we're going to go to listen another audio clip of a keynote address at UNESCO headquarters by His Holiness Azam Mr. Masood Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, emphasizing again the importance of education. We'll listen to it and we'll be back right after that. Hence, from the outset, Islam emphasized the, the immense value of learning and pushing the boundaries of human knowledge. Since it was founded in 1889, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has always promoted education amongst its members. With the grace of Allah, the very first Muslim Nobel laureate was an Ahmadi Muslim, Professor Dr. Abdul Salam, an eminent physicist who was the Nobel Prize, uh, who, who won the Nobel Prize for physics in 1979. Throughout his life, Professor Salam spoke of how Islam and the Holy Quran, in particular, was the inspiration and guiding light behind his work. In fact, he used to say that there were around 750 verses in the Holy Quran directly related to science and which enhanced our understanding of nature and the universe. Furthermore, the third caliph of, um, uh, of our community desired for a new dawn of great Muslim scientists and academics to emerge. And so, within our community, he started a tradition of awarding gold medals for academic excellence. Each year, hundreds of Ahmadi Muslim boys and girls uh, are awarded gold medals. Certainly, we believe that access to education is key to breaking the cycle of poverty that has plagued economically weak uh, countries for generations. We learn this from the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, who urged Muslims to fund the education of vulnerable members of society, such as orphans. He taught that spiritual advancement was intrinsically linked to serving humanity, and so a Muslim could not attain the love of God Almighty just through worship and prayer. Rather, the love of God Almighty required Muslims to serve humanity. Thus, in chapter 90, verse 15 to 17, the Holy Quran of the Holy Quran, Muslims are instructed to work uh, to work, eradicate hunger and poverty, to fulfill the needs of orphans, and to educate vulnerable and poor children, so that opportunities open up for them to develop. Welcome back after the audio clip of His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, the head of Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, who has, you know, sh- uh, spoke on the importance of education, and then. You probably have heard the importance of attaining the pleasure of God Almighty and uh, what God requires from us because as we're discussing a topic where education is compulsory and is very much needed to have a long-lasting peace, one of the important things that, you know, which is 
on the other hand that if we want to have ultimate peace then muslims you know and especially we are as being a muslim we are uh, duty bound to do as god wants from us we have to follow the teachings of quran we have to follow the teachings of or you know the advices of the holy prophet peace be upon him to have ultimate peace uh, in, in our surroundings and within our society God Almighty, He has, um, you know, so many different attributes, uh, in, in fact, uh, over a hundred and um, which have been mentioned. And one of them is that He is Al-Alim. Al-Alim is an Arabic word which means He is all-knowing. And also, in addition, He is the wise. He is Al-Hakim. So, f- um, of course, if we have to learn something, He is the one we should turn to. And He has already given His message uh, in a complete form, in the form of the Holy Quran. So if we read the Holy Quran, if we understand, try to understand its teachings, uh, obviously we, uh, it is going to take us to, to bring peace, not only within ourselves, but as a members of, uh, as individuals of a society, if all the individuals, they have peace within themselves, they will um, turn into a society which is a peaceful society, and that will, pre- that will uh, of course, uh, bring peace to the world. So that is, uh, you know, the, uh, a, a unit, a uh, block, which forms uh, the, the wall of peace. And in order to form that, obviously, we have to uh, train ourselves according to, we have to turn to our Creator, learn from Him the ways He has told us, how we should <coughs> deal with each other, how, you know, there is one verse of the Holy Quran, which is uh, a very, very comprehensive verse of the Holy Quran. It is usually read in the Friday sermons at the end of a Friday sermon in the Arabic portion, um, which which says that, that God Almighty commands that you should uh, you should behave in such a manner that there is justice, and then there is ihsan, you do favor upon people. And not only that, uh, you behave as if somebody is your own blood relative. So your feelings for others should be as if he's your own blood relative. So you won't, you will never think of something bad for your own son or daughter. When you're thinking like that, about others, then your vested interests go away, you work on justice, and also there is a teaching which says that, you know, even if um, when you come for, a, for, for being a witness and, and you become a witness, then you don't care if somebody is your, your relative, your blood relative, your friend, you talk about justice, you, you speak the truth, you tell the truth, and you stand uh, behind the truth. So this is this is what you need to do, and that's a very basic essential which the Holy Quran teaches us, that if you want to create a peaceful society, you have to rise above the basic levels, and you have to, um, to act upon justice, and you have to behave with justice, and you, sh- you should be truthful, and you should have the courage to speak the truth, even if it goes against you or your dear ones. Very much right. Uh, one of the things I would like to mention as we are just coming to the end of the show, His Holiness, the head of the Muslim community, Azam Azam Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, states one that try to use your education for the betterment of your children, not just for earning money. One of the you know concepts is uh, to earn, uh, to learn something or to have a higher education to earn money. That's not good. The most important thing one should have in, in the mind 
to educate yourself and educate your children for the betterment. Then again, he stated that education serves a purpose when it affects the heart in a positive way, when it enlightens a person and motivates him or her towards doing good and taking care of others' feelings. Then he said that Islam teaches that each and every child, no matter his or her background, should be provided a proper education so that they can develop into a skilled and truly beneficial member of the society. So, you know, he has addressed uh, that one should have education is very important, very critical, very, you know, uh, to, to make a peaceful society. And being an Ahmadi Muslim especially, we should look into it and we should always be educated and we should do as much as we can to, 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 to be educated. And at the end, uh, as the topic we are discussing, learning is, is, is an important thing and it is important for lasting peace. And if we start following and start getting education about it, indeed, we'll have peace within our society. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessing of Allah be upon on all our listeners. Welcome once again here in Drive Time Show. You're listening to Anika Rahman and I have joined by Dr. Tariq Pajwa here in the London studio. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Wa alaikum assalam. Peace be on you and all our listeners. Um, I think we have a, a very uh, important topic uh, for the second hour. Uh, as, as you know, we are talking uh, in a series about the various aspects of the life of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, the um, the angle at which we are going to look at today from on his life is about how he was able to spread the message of Islam to the world in such a short period of time. And uh, so the way his approach was and what happened, so just uh, I'm going through, we will be also speaking to our guests who are uh, imams of our uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And uh, we'll be also getting some, some details from them, asking the details how uh, did the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, was so successful in such a short period of time that he was able to um, sort of convey the message to the people who um, who converted by themselves, looking at his morals, looking at his life, looking at uh, you know what he did for them, making the decisions, the right decision at the right time, and uh, so various aspects of the, the the life of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, will will be um, delving into today. The Holy Prophet. Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He was the founder of Islam, uh, and as uh, most of the people are aware, that he was born in Mecca, uh, which is in present-day Saudi Arabia. He initially preached Islam in Mecca, however, faced persecution from the Meccan leaders and opposition from the Quraysh tribe. Uh, I think our first guest is here, so let's speak to him first, and I will carry on. Uh, yes, we have our first guest with us, Imam Nuruddin. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. And thank you much for joining us today. Wa alaikum assalam wa It's a pleasure to be on. Nice uh, to hear your voice, Anik. Thank you. Uh, to start off, uh, Imam Nuruddin, could you please explain to our listeners how did the concept of jihad, both as a spiritual struggle and the physical endeavor, influence the commitment and sacrifices of early Muslims in spreading Islam? This is an interesting question because um, when you think about this word of jihad, it's quite a polarized word actually. Because um, nowadays, if, if somebody calls out jihad, jihad, you know, people will think that you know you're probably a terrorist and you just want to commit atrocities. 
But the actual reality of it is that jihad is a very beautiful word, which means to struggle in itself. And as you've already pointed out, there's this uh, spiritual side to it as well, and a physical endeavor as well. And as it, and when it comes to influencing the sacrifices, I think it's intrinsic within the word of, Islam, of jihad that one must struggle and one must make sacrifices. Because even the you know of the different types of jihad, there is the jihad akbar, let's say, which is the highest order of jihad. Mm-hmm. And that is of the self-reformation. And that in itself, it implies that you must make sacrifices. You must better yourself. And to do so, you must, you must give up, for example, your own temptations, your greed, your lust, the worldly temptations, all these things which come on a day-to-day basis. You have to constantly be um, reforming yourself and to, and to control all of those kind of emotions, you can say, or desires. And to want and to move towards a greater desire, which is to you know to please God Almighty, and then you know because we're talking about a physical one as well, everything within Islam, uh, all the commandments you can say, which are given to the Muslims, now, there isn't a single one of them which isn't of benefit to the to, to the believer when they act upon the commandments of of Allah Almighty, and when it comes to you can even just look at the different pillars of Islam, whether it's the creed of of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah There is no God but Allah Muhammad is his messenger That in itself when you say La ilaha Means there is no other thing Which is worthy of your Of your adoration Of your um, Of the worship that you give Of your obedience All of those things um, When you don't have that Then you're actually turning towards Other things in the world Which are Your, your desires become your Become your God per se And so Islam has brought about This sense of sacrifice this sense of loyalty to, to one God, which has united the Muslims and has, you know, helped them. I'll give an example. People think that, you know, Islam prohibited alcohol um, outright. This isn't true because it took a number of years, actually, um, before certain commandments were, were given by God Almighty. In fact, 23, over 23 years, that was the time that the, the Holy Quran was revealed over that time. And, and so there was a time at the beginning when the early Muslims you can say were, were drinking alcohol as well because it hadn't yet been prohibited. And so the Muslims didn't know if they were allowed to or not, so they carried on in the, you know, the customs that they had before. And it even said that they had five times in the day where they would, where they would um, drink alcohol, which is, which is quite, quite unique uh, just to think that people would drink that many times in the day. And then that changed the moment that the revelation came that is prohibited. The Muslims who were even drinking at the time they came and took all their vessels and all their pots and jars that they had full of alcohol and they chucked them on the streets and they just broke everything to the point that it said that, you know, it's as if like a kind of streams of, of wine were, were flowing down the streets just from, from all the way, the way that all the Muslims had sacrificed uh, whatever was so dear to them back then. The, the moment they realized that God Almighty did not want that from them, they sacrificed it there and then. That was their level of obedience. That was the, the level of, of uh, self-reformation, you could say, of level of jihad that they, that they undertook. Yeah, very much right. Uh, you know, as we were discussing uh, today, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and spread of Islam especially. So in this context, how did the concept of Ummah, the global Muslim community, influence the sense of unity and purpose among you know, Muslims from different regions and backgrounds? So there's... Um, it's, it's quite interesting because the word Ummah, as you said, the Muslim nation, Muslim group, you can say, mm. um, became, the Muslims became one body. Whereas before, 
um, you can say that they were tribes and they were different nations and people of different backgrounds and they all there was always this constant fighting among them among the people and so what Islam did it, it came and it showed the world that with the unity of God that's where it all started this was something that, that wasn't present at the time the Muslims were you can say they uh, sorry the the Arabs they used to worship hundreds of gods and for every single element you could say there was a different kind of god that was there for them and when Islam came the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him he, he taught the taught the people that there isn't all these gods these are all false gods these are what you wrought from your own hands whereas God Almighty is one and he and with that unity you can see when they were praying every single person came shoulder to shoulder no matter what their background, no matter what their their job, no matter what their colour, no matter what you know, their ethnicity. Even if you're young or old, every single person stood shoulder to shoulder as brothers or as sisters, you can say. And this was something which was unique because, you know, there's different hierarchies within society. And all of that was shattered. With Islam, there's no there was no system of caste or creed. There was the system of of faith. And everybody is equal in that. And the only thing that they can excel in is in their piety. There was no, no one was looking at, you know, this person is probably of this background, so I think he should have more favor, or because of that person's age, they should, have, they should uh, be granted more. It was not like that. Every single person had, a, had the, an equal standing position. And you can see that when they're standing shoulder to shoulder, as I said, in prayer. And you can see that in every other aspect within, within society, how everybody, of, even of different faiths, you can say, when the Muslims came to Medina, what did they do? They didn't um, assert their superiority over the, the, you can say, the Jewish people or the Christians or the, or the pagans at the time. In fact, they made pacts with them that they would defend one another, that they would have love for one another, they would protect one another. And if any one of them was attacked, they would all stand to defend them. And this unity was something which the, which the Muslim world brought to them. And you can see how that unity was such a special thing because the moment that they stopped acting upon the teachings of Islam, they lost that unity. And with that came all the tribulations that came upon Islam. And, you know, unfortunately, even today we see how um, the Muslim world is struggling with so many different troubles, all fighting amongst one another. You can see even, you know, with uh, what's happening in the Middle East right now with uh, Iran and Iraq and Syria and, and uh, Palestine, all of this is happening because they have they have lost that unity instead of defending one another they are fighting one another and that is the the problem and and you know with the voice of islam as well you can see how we you are you are trying to spread that true message of you know the imam mahdi mm. the the one who came to reform the world to bring them back to the true teachings of islam this is what the world is in need of because it is only through uniting once again under the reformer that the world can have that unity once again to be able to um, you know, to become one nation once again, as there was at the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. I hope that answers your question. I'm indeed, almost, indeed. Um, well, yeah. You're very much right. Thank you much for summarizing very beautifully. And uh, thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And I hope our listeners have benefited from your answers. Thank you once again. No worries. Thank you. So you were listening to Imam Nuruddin, who joined us and discussed on very, you know, two important things. One is jihad, that how, what, what is jihad in Islam? And you know, jihad this doesn't mean just to fight and take, you know, take out the swords and uh, just fighting with each other. With, with each other, jihad is something which you fight against your own self 
to rectify yourself, to purify yourself, to become more spiritual and fulfill the rights of Allah the Almighty and fulfill the rights of humanity, which is the you know fundamental things to call yourself a Muslim. And secondly, you know, the spread of Islam, if, if, and as, as I discussed about the unity and Ummah. And we see nowadays, most of the countries are fighting, have a conflict with each other. They are, you know, Muslim Ummahs and they're fighting each other. If we want to become the Ummah once again, indeed, we have to unite under one flag, which is the flag of the promised Messiah, whom God has sent once again under the flag of, uh, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And he is here for us. And we have to believe him if we want to become a unity or, a, you know, a Ummah once again. Um, the um, our caller just mentioned about the name of uh, Imam Mahdi. Imam Mahdi uh, is the one who was the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community. His name was Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, and he um, he was residing in Kadian, a small town in India, where he founded the, the Ahmadi Muslim community in 1889. And since then, uh, this uh, his followers they have been progressing throughout the world. And now we are uh, in more than 200 countries of the world. And uh, the message, which uh, we our topic today is the how did the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was so successful in spreading the message of Islam in such a short period. And Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadiyan, what he has actually, he said that I have come to um, give the true message of Islam to the whole world, but not with sword not with uh, oppression, not with the force. I, I want to convey the same way as my holy master, Hazrat um, Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him, had spread the message. And he never spread the message of Islam through sword. He did fight the defensive battles when the Muslims were at risk of being extinguished altogether. And uh, they at the, at those stages he was praying to God Almighty that oh God if these three hundred and thirteen Muslims who have come to defend themselves um, if if they are uh, you know if they are defeated in this battlefield uh, the, your name will be vanished from earth so it is for his sake that he was praying to God Almighty and Prophet Muhammad may peace be upon him always. He always, his message of Islam was that of peace, that of, uh, you know, the high morals he showed of forgiving people. Had he been uh, fond of uh, bloodshed, he would have never forgiven people who were his staunch enemies, who were killers of his relatives and Muslims at the time of the, when he came, you know, uh, to conquer Mecca. Uh, and uh, at that time, you know, they were all at his hand. But he, in, with one word, he said that you're all forgiven. So this is only, you know, many people, he, they became Muslim just by seeing his morals that look, who can forgive such people who are criminals? And uh, so he, he, it can only be somebody who is truly from God Almighty. And that is why he has shown such high levels of uh, morals. So Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him, in 622 CE, um, he, along with his followers, of course, migrated to Medina due to increasing threats in Mecca. And he established the first Islamic state in Medina and began to build a strong Muslim community there. 
Islam began to spread rapidly among the two Arab tribes of town, the, those Arab tribes who were living at that time, although there were, uh, you know, Christians as well as the Jews also living in Medina. But the two Arab tribes who were there in that town of Medina, they, when, when the Prophet, uh, on, on whom be peace, he arrived in Medina, so this was a time when not all who declared to adhere to their faith were sincere to him. So you were not, you know, he was not even sure, but he would accept people who would come and join, but would accept them as a Muslims at whatever they said. So the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, through his teachings, his exemplary character, his missionary efforts, he played a central role in spreading Islam throughout the Arabian Peninsula and beyond. As Islam spread, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, sent letters to various rulers and kings, inviting them to embrace Islam or at least live in peace and cooperation with the Muslim communities. Um, in this show today, we will go through the different occasions in the life of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that led to the spread of Islam, so that we can clarify on the misconceptions people have about the spread of Islam, that, you know, many people, even, even some of the Muslim so-called scholars, they have uh, mentioned and actually blamed Islam for spreading the message with the, uh, with the sword, which is very, very untrue, and uh, one must be clarified in their mind that not a single person was converted by force to Islam. Everybody who came, they came voluntarily, and, and that is what the teaching of Islam is, that somebody who wants to join, it is to change within himself, within, if, if one cannot change from within oneself, it is, it is hypocrisy. So those who, who did convert in that way, they were the hypocrites. And, and even the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he was told by God Almighty, by revelation, that they are, they, these they are people who are hypocrites. Yet he never took any action against them. He knew who they were, yet he kept quiet and he accepted them as they were, as they, as they claimed that they are. So this, this is such a beautiful teaching of Islam and seeing the morals of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, and the many of the companions, these are the people who eventually converted truly to Islam, and they were, uh, you know, they became uh, a strong force for, for the spreading the message of Islam to the, the rest of the world. In the Holy Quran, it says, He it is who has sent his messenger with the guidance and the religion of truth, that he may cause it to prevail, to prevail over all religions, However, much those who associate partners with Allah may dislike it. So these are the these this is the translation from um, chapter sixty one verse ten of the Holy Quran. The verse highlights the primary mission of the Prophet uh, Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which was to convey the guidance and the religion of truth, that is Islam, to humanity. <coughs> Indeed, and you know the Holy Prophet peace be upon his mission was not limited to a specific time or a place but was meant to be universal and timeless and aiming for Islam's, you know, eventual prevalence. During the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, Arabia was a region where various beliefs and polytheistic practices were prevalent. The verse acknowledges the existence of different religions and beliefs that assert that the guidance brought by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is destined and prevail over all of them. The verse serves <clears throat> as a motivation 
for Muslims to actively propagate the message of Islam and work towards its eventual dominance. It implies that Islam spread may encounter resistance but insurance that it will ultimately prevail, emphasizing the truth and resilience of the religion. As we are discussing about the war in Islam, <clears throat> one of the important things which you need to understand when a person who wants to fight, he charge basically, he go after and you know after that person or come to fight on his on his or to his home or to his country or to his uh, you know place where they are living in. But in, the, in 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 you know in the time of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, we see that they were kuffar, you know, that's disbeliever. They came to Medina rather than the Holy Prophet peace be upon him going to Mecca to fight. He was at home. They came there to fight and. They thought that they will win. They were in power. They were more than Muslims. And that's why they left their own city and traveled 200 miles, 200 kilometers to fight the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, where they thought they will defeat them. But they didn't know that God was with them and ultimately the, won, the, the, the battles won by Muslims. Even though they were small in numbers, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, never went to Mecca to fight. He was there and it was them who came. We know the war of Dutch where the Dutch was, uh, you know, uh, created around the uh, around Mecca to protect, uh, sorry, around Medina and to protect Medina, just to protect, you know, all people living in Medina from Meccans, which means they came there once again to fight. So all the early battles which we see, we see that there was fought near Medina where the Meccans came to fight to Muslims, not Muslim went to them. So how we can see, how we can say that the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, you know, wanted a war. He he fought. If somebody wanted to charge a country or a city, he basically go there. But he was charged by Meccans. But ultimately, God was with with, with the Muslims, and ultimately the the battles won by the uh, Holy Prophet peace be upon him Muslims. So carry on, you know, <clears throat> the Holy Prophet peace be upon him continued to receive revelations. We need to understand what happened actually. Why? Because there was a time where the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was in uh, Mecca for a good, uh, in the beginning of years where he was not fighting, he was not saying anything, he was just showing his steadfastness. People were very bad to him, bad to Muslims, but even though they were showing a patient, showing patience. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, continued to receive revelations and expanded the Islamic community in Medina. He also established the principle of justice, equality and religion freedom. Many of the early Islamic wars were defensive, as I mentioned, in nature. The Muslim community in Medina faced persecution and threats from the Quraysh in Mecca and other hostile tribes. So in 624 CE, the Muslims won a significant battle against Quraysh in Badr which boosted their morale and strengthened Islam position. Even though there were only 313 on Muslim, Muslims and the other side was a nearly 1,000 people who came to fought and they had swords, they had camels, they had food, they had everything. But even then, you know, they, were, they know how to f- fight and they were very strong in every way. But because God was with Muslims, the first battle, the battle of Badr was won by the Muslims. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and his followers engaged in battles such as Battle of Badr and Battle of Ahad in self-defense because he stayed in Medina. When Meccan charged Medina or they came there to occupy Medina to kill all the Muslims, you know. So then the, the, the war happened, the battle happened, and it was a self-defense rather than, 
you know, going or, you know, he, the Holy Prophet didn't want it a battle with anyone. So these conflicts, you know, solidified the Muslims' community cohesion and survival, which contributed to the spread of Islam. If we <coughs> move on, the Treaty of Hudaybiya, we need to discuss very something very important, where, you know, it, it gives the window to Islam to spread to the different countries because there was key, there was a war time. They were, you know, Meccans were coming to Medina to fight. They continuously there was few uh, battle, and then the, the area was not secure. People could not go to different places to preach Islam, to you know, to spread the message of Islam, because there was a chance that they can they can be caught and you know they will be dead. So you, nobody wanted to take long journeys to go different places. So the Treaty of Hudaybiyah is very important where. It was secured and it was something, you know, uh, they've written uh, uh, a treaty where there was a peace within the region. So six years has passed since Muslims, you know, migrated from Mecca. One night, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, saw an, in a dream that he was entering the Holy Kaaba. And the key for it was in his hand. He told this dream to his companions and invited for Umrah to visit uh, the, the Holy Kaaba in the month of Dhul Qadha one of the months where war was unlawful in Arabia so there were a few months where they used to think that we shouldn't be fighting so there was the month where it was unlawful to fight in Arabia so when the people of Makkah Quraysh heard about the arrival of Muslims they started making plans to tell Muslims that they are not allowed in Makkah and would not be allowed to perform pilgrimage the Holy Prophet told Hazrat Usman, the third caliph of Islam, may Allah be pleased with him, to tell Quraysh, the people of Makkah, that their only wish was to perform pilgrimage, nothing else. However, this led to a rumor that Uthman had been killed by the Quraysh because he's taken the journey to Makkah to explain to them that we are not here to for any other thing, we're here to, for, for pilgrimage. This led this this rumor less led that he was killed by the crash. He you know this led to the Holy Prophet peace be upon him to take a better Rizwan, where he sat <coughs> under the tree with his companions and asked his followers to take an oath of allegiance to him. They all took an oath by declaring their resolve to fight to the bitter end for Islam. This treaty between the Muslims and the Makkans is known as the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and according to its term. We'll carry on this. It's a long uh, you know, treaty and we have to go through and discuss every single bit. Now I think we have our uh, guest uh, who will be uh, you know, ex explaining this topic furthermore. But we'll be back after our first guest. We'll be carrying, carrying on and discuss the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, how it happened and what happened and what was the, uh, you know, what kind of fruit or how it was beneficial for Islam. Our uh, next guest we have today is uh, Imam Rabib Mirza. He's, he's a very familiar face here on uh, Radio Voice of Islam. He usually is able to uh, you know, give us some time. It's very kind of him uh, to be here again. Uh, welcome. Assalamu alaikum, Imam Rabib Mirza. 
Wa alaikum salam rahmatullah. Peace be upon all of you and peace be upon all of our listeners. And jazakallah for having me once again. You are very welcome and uh, it's a pleasure to have you, uh, you know, time and again here. Um, so today is, you, you know, our topic today, we're discussing about the spread of Islam by the Holy Prophet, uh, Prophet Muhammad. May peace and blessing of Allah be upon him. Um, so how did the concept of jihad, both as a spiritual struggle and a physical endeavor, influence uh, the commitment and sacrifices of early Muslims in spreading Islam? Uh, it's, it's again, it's a very good question. Um, I think for our listeners also, uh, just to elaborate upon the word jihad, so jihad basically means a struggle. Because sometimes in um, the non-Muslim countries, especially the Western world, you know, this word is synonymous with, uh, uh, you know, fighting with the sword and, and religious warfare. Um, so first and foremost, our, our listeners, um, they should uh, realize that ultimately jihad basically means the struggle. And the mannerism in which the Muslims utilized the cause for jihad in spreading the message of uh, Islam is something that was revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where in the Holy Quran, in uh, uh, Surah Furqan, Allah the Almighty instructed the Holy Prophet, um, Now, a lot of the commentators of this particular verse, they say that this was revealed in, in Makkah. Um, so even before the Holy Prophet migrated to Medina, there was this instruction by God Almighty that uh, the Holy Quran, the message of Islam, it should be spread. So ultimately, because the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the perfect preacher uh, and a divine preacher, so therefore the Muslims utilized uh, his example and by learning from his example, they went out and they spread the message of Islam to all you know, possible corners where they could. Um, we know that, for example, uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he wrote letters, so he sent his emissaries um, to go and deliver those letters. Then the companions themselves, they would go out and, and preach the message of, of Islam. Now, just one very simple example. You were uh, mentioning Sulah Hudaybiyah, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. You know, after that period of time, or, well, since the time of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the Muslims, they numbered around 1,000. Yet when, um, you know, Makkah uh, was, uh, uh, we can say, conquered, in the sense that because the, the, the non-believers, they broke the treaty, and therefore, according to the treaty, the Holy Prophet and his um, followers, they entered Mecca. So on that day, they numbered 10,000. So it shows that Islam can only spread through peaceful means and when there is peace. So Islam can never spread in um, you know a situation where there's always battle after battle. So Islam needs an environment of peace to spread. And that's ultimately why the companions then they utilized that particular period to go out and spread the message of Islam. And we see that how they use the example of the Holy Prophet, the Holy Quran itself, to spread that message. So ultimately, it was an instruction given to the Holy Prophet. And then the followers of the Holy Prophet, uh, they uh, 
carried out the task themselves and they spread Islam to wherever they could. Yeah, that was my um, next question, actually, that how during the period of the pious caliphate, the Rashidun um, Khulafa, um, uh, the, you know, how, what, what role did they play to spread the message of Islam after the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings be upon him? Um, again, it's a, it's a very interesting question. It's a, it's a question, of course, that, that demands um, a, a lot of time. But uh, I'll just give one uh, simple example, that during the time of uh, the third caliph, um, Hazrat Umar, uh, may Allah be pleased, uh, Hazrat Usman, may Allah be pleased with him, uh, he sent an envoy uh, comprising of Hazrat uh, Saad bin Abi Waqas, um, a very, you know, uh, a stalwart uh, of, uh, from amongst the companions. And he sent them to give the message of Islam to China. Mm-hmm. And we see that there was one particular king, um, or we can say emperor of China, um, who wrote an ode uh, in the praise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and Islam so much so that he allowed mosques to be built there as well. So the way that the message of Islam spread through the time and periods of, of the Khulafai Rashidin or the rightly guided caliph is something that is an example for all Muslims across the world. It was not that they used uh, warfare to spread the message of Islam and conquer territories. Rather, just because certain um, tribes and, and people, by looking at the actions of the Muslims, they entered the religion of Islam. So ultimately, it was by the actions and the message that was being given that people accepted Islam, not because of warfare. So moving on, you know, what motivated the early Muslim leaders and the followers to engage in missionary activities and the spread of Islam beyond the Arabian Peninsula? Um, Again, you know, as I I mentioned, that it was primarily a commandment by God Almighty to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And then it is incumbent upon every single Muslim to invite mankind towards the religion of Islam. So that was a catalyst for why the Muslims desired for Islam to spread, you know, across and beyond the Arabian Peninsula. That was ultimately the main reason why they engaged uh, in spreading the message of Islam. Now, for example, you know, the kings and rulers who embraced Islam uh, we know that the uh, king of Egypt, uh, Makukas, um, he uh, embraced Islam. We also know about uh, the king of uh, Ethiopia, Negus. He also accepted Islam. And, you know, it's so beautiful, the mannerism in which they accepted Islam, because, again, as I mentioned, that Islam was not spread to them through the sword. When... Uh, the early Muslims, because of persecution, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, sent again uh, an envoy, or you can say sent a, a small group of Muslims to Ethiopia. And when they were presented before him, uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, his own cousin, Hazrat Jafir, you know, he was representing the Muslims. And 
when of course i'm 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 uh, cutting the the incident short due to the shortage of time but when king you know negus asked uh, hazrat jafir uh, about islam and about their stance on on christianity and jesus hazrat jafir quoted um the story related in uh, uh, I, i believe it is surah taha and within those verses it talks about the birth of of jesus and how an angel appeared to mary and gave her the glad tidings of jesus and this moved uh, king negus to the point where those disbelievers of mecca that had come to actually take the muslims back to mecca so they could persecute them and they had good relations with the king king of ethiopia so the 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 disbelievers or the chieftains of mecca they had an extremely good relationship with the king of ethiopia so they had you know foreign alliances we can say but just when listening to that very story related in the holy quran you know king nega said to uh, hazrat jafar that there is no you know uh, he drew a line and he said that you know the, there's no difference between us and ultimately then he accepted islam and it's also come in in certain narrations that he also led the uh, marriage ceremony of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him with the uh, hazrat umm habiba and also the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him um you know uh, offered uh, the funeral prayer for king negus in absentia so again ultimately the message of islam the way that it was conveyed to these kings and rulers it was not done through the sword as i mentioned just by relating the incident of how um the angel appeared to mary and how jesus uh, peace be upon him was conceived and the whole story of jesus it moved the heart of of king negus so ultimately again as i mentioned at the start it was the holy quran that ultimately played a catalyst in moving the hearts of the kings and rulers to embrace islam and ultimately even now it will be the message of the holy quran that will move the hearts and win the hearts of people for them to embrace islam um of course you know this is this is the message we are we are uh, trying to deliver today on the on our uh, program on the radio voice of islam um and that is uh, the ahmadiyya muslim point of view which is that which is the true islam the true islamic concept that islam was never spread with sword it was spread with love with the morals with the high level of spiritual um achievements which uh, the holy quran guides us to thank you very much uh, imam rabib for joining us today it was a pleasure talking to you again this evening and i have a nice evening Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So we're talking about Treaty of Hudaybiya. You know, in Hudaybiya, as uh, Imam Rabib quoted, that this was one event where apparently, though no war was fought, but actually um, the Muslims who had come just to do a small pilgrimage after the Holy Prophet of Islam had dreamt about entering Kaaba and <coughs> and holding his, its key in his hands. um he thought that this was to happen this year and <clears throat> in the month of zulqada which is a month when um war is actually forbidden it was unlawful it was unlawful in arabia and that's why he chose this month to travel to makkah 
But when they reached near Mecca, the Quraysh heard about the arrival of Muslims. They started making plans to tell Muslims that they are not allowed in Mecca and would not be allowed to perform Hajj. The Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, as you heard earlier, that he um, sent Hazrat Usman, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, who later on became the third caliph of Islam. So he sent him, and he was obviously, he was related to the Holy Prophet, uh, being his son-in-law as well. Uh, and he sent him as an, uh, as an uh, envoy to, um, to tell Quraysh that their only wish was to perform pilgrimage and nothing else. However, this led to a rumor that uh, Hazrat Usman, may Allah be pleased with him, he had been killed by the Quraysh. And this led to the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he, he took a bath, bath is an oath of allegiance, on his hand, he sat under a tree, and then he took this oath of allegiance, which is called a bath ridwan that means an oath of allegiance uh, of, um, ridwan means that you get that, uh, you know, on, upon which Allah will get pleased with the Muslims, because it was on the hand of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, upon you know about which the holy prophet the holy quran tells us that god almighty himself told that that hand was not prophet's hand it was the hand of god almighty on on whose hand they took the oath of allegiance and uh, they declared that if they have to fight they will they will do that unless they recover uh, Hazrat Usman, um, but later on they realized that that was a, a false news and uh, it, it was just that it took some a longer time for Hazrat Usman, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, to return. Uh, and then later on there was a treaty settled between the Muslims and the Meccans, it's known as Treaty of Hudaybiyah, and according to its terms, now these terms are very important and I think it has an, a lot, uh, a large impact on the later on what happened in, in the uh, Islamic history. Um, you see, uh, uh, yeah, although the terms the, the terms were dictated by the Meccans, but they all went in favor of the of the, the, the of the Muslims, and at that time even some of the companions they were not happy with the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, uh, that you know that why we we have to uh, you know have this contract, but uh, of of course uh, he was the Holy Prophet of Islam and he was uh, divinely guided, and that's why what he said and what he agreed was the one which proved to be more beneficial for for uh, Islam because through this after this treaty as Imam Rabib also mentioned that it was 10 times the Muslims who were at that time there were 1500 Muslims but later on uh, when um, they came to uh, you, uh, you know at the victory they got a victory of the Mecca they were uh, 10,000 who were uh, you know along with him so they they multiplied within within two years they multiplied to 10 times see this is the period which which uh, <coughs> shows that how islam has spread by the true message which was delivered to people and the holy prophet may peace be upon him himself made all the efforts through pen he wrote letters to pe people who he conveyed the message verbally to the people as much as he could reach he sent the envoys he uh, you know whatever possible ways other than other than war, where he utilized them, which were available at that time, and that is how Islam was spread. And when, when Muslims reached these areas, as you mentioned, that some of them they they went even to China, but it was the people who saw the behavior of these people, their high character, their morals, that they were affected, 
And they, when they looked at the teachings of the Holy Quran in particular, they were um, impressed by it and they converted to Islam. And uh, so the Treaty of Hidabiyah gave Muslims peace and calmness to spread the message of Islam. Great warriors like Khalid bin Walid and Amr bin al-As accepted Islam as the truth after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. The success of Islam after the treaty can be highlighted from the fact, as I mentioned, that it, the number multiplied 10 times within this short two, two years period. In 630 CE, the Prophet returned to Mecca with a peaceful army. The city surrendered and he forgave his former enemies, demonstrating forgiveness and tolerance. If he had any, um, if, if he was fond of bloodshed, he would, he would not have forgiven all those people at the time because this was one single event where nobody have even pointed out that, you know, uh, even the staunch enemies of Islam have admitted that one can see the high morals of the Holy Prophet at this particular event. Yeah, very much right. And one of the important things, the treaty was even broken by the crash as well. Even though it was 10 uh, years, it was growing, yes, broken by them and the peace and was that, destroyed. And that was the reason of this was the reason. coming. Yeah, then, the, you know, the, the Holy Prophet had to march towards Mecca because the, tre- the, the treaty, the peace treaty was broken. Uh, it's a uh, time for a short break, uh, after which we'll discuss uh, furthermore on this topic. Please join us after the small break. Allah. Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back uh, to Voice of Islam, and uh, you were listening uh, to Aniko Rahman, and we were discussing uh, an important topic before the break. It was regarding the spread of Islam, how the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was you know, sent by God Almighty, and how he cultivated the good morals and how he taught people that how, how we can have you know a true connection with God Almighty and through his lifetime he shown that everyone should be living in peace you should be respecting each other you should be fulfilling the right of each other and that's what we see in the in his life and that's what we you know understand that because of his m- morals and the moral which he cultivated in his companions, people saw and accepted Islam. Islam was not spreaded by, by sword, by war, by jihad. It was truly spreaded when it was peace, as we were mentioning, discussing before the short break, that when the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was written, there was a peace in the region for ten years. The people, uh, they actually, you know, signed on ten years, even though it was broken after six years by Meccans. The disbelievers, in that time, Islam spreaded to different places. When even there was very few people, and when you know the treaty was broken after six years, it was ten thousand people who went to conquer Mecca just because the treaty was broken by the uh, you know Meccans. Going back to the time of treaty, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him has sent different. Uh, groups different direction to spread the message of God Almighty. He has written the letters to kings, 
and Imam Rabi Mirza has mentioned briefly. I will go through it once again. After the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, sent letters to various kings and rulers inviting them to Islam. One of these letters was sent to Harif bin Abi Shemr Ghassani, who was a chief of Ghota, an area near Damascus. In the letter, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, introduced himself as a messenger of Allah, invited Harith to believe in the one God who has no partners. The Prophet emphasized that only by believing in Allah alone could Harith's kingdom be secured. Hazrat Shuja bin Wahab was chosen to deliver this letter. He reached the place of Harith but had to wait for several days before gaining an audience. During this time, he spoke to the chief security guard about the message of Islam. The guard was deeply affected by the message and believed in the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. When Harith finally read the Prophet's letter, he became angry and ordered his army to prepare for an attack on the Prophet, peace be upon him. However, he also wrote to the Roman Emperor Caesar, informing his of his intentions. The Caesar responded by advising Harith not to take military action or instead suggested a meeting in Jerusalem. This response prevented an immediate attack on Muslims. The incident created some fear in Medina that the Ghassan tribes might attack, but ultimately no military confrontation occurred. In summary, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, sent letters to various rulers inviting them to Islam, including Harith bin Ibn Shamir Ghassani. Harith initially considered attacking the Muslims, but was persuaded otherwise by the Caesar's advice to seek peaceful meeting in Jerusalem. In the Holy Quran, it says that we have sent thee only as a bearer of glad tidings and a warner for the whole of mankind. But most people know not. Chapter 34, verse 29. The verse underscores that the primary mission of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing will be upon him, was not to force or compel people into Islam, but to deliver two essential messages glad tidings and warnings. As a bearer of glad tidings, he brought the message of God's mercy, forgiveness and reward of faith to those who accept it. The, the, this verse reminds Muslims of their role in continuing the Prophet's mission by covering, conveying the message of Islam, both its glad tidings and warnings to the world. It encouraged Muslims to follow the f Prophet's example of compassionate and peaceful propagation. Before the appearance of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, polygamy was practiced by the biblical prophets, Abraham and three and had three wives, David, 100, and Solomon, over 700. It was not only common in Arabia, but it was <clears throat> also was being practiced in the entire world. Around this time, women were looked in inferiorly status and were not allowed to remarry. By marrying a divorced lady, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, taught that such a marriage is lawful and described in order to grant a discovered uh, the divorced woman an honorable status in the society. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, eliminated racial, ethnic, cultural, tribal and national distinctions and prejudice through his marriage. Some of the marriages of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, were to unite his followers 
with different clans and tribes in mutual love and affection. We see in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that he had shown that how to respect women, how to, you know, give the right of people who actually, you know, were not given by other religion before. As we see, the, the, the girls used to bury life. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has given the glad tidings for those who take care of the daughters or, or you know, the, those who used to get buried by uh, the, the, their family. Then the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has given a great emphasis on to take care of uh, your wife and respect and respect your mother. So the Holy Quran is a perfect teaching and the Holy Prophet of Islam is a perfect prophet who has given the instruction for how to live your life, how to have, you know, how to fulfill the rights, the society, regardless of your mother, your neighbor, uh, your friend, your father, your children, your wife, and in every matter of life is been, you know, advised by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and given us that these are the true morals one Muslim have, and we see because of that it makes, you know, us different than others that if we start following the footsteps of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, indeed will become a person which Allah the Almighty desired to see. And this is the purpose of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to come once again and to connect us with Allah the Almighty and make us, make us you know, spiritual and make us uh, to take all the bad things away from us and make us more uh, inclined toward Allah the Almighty and fulfill the rights of Allah the Almighty and fulfill the rights of His Creator. Again, you know, at the end, I would like to say, even though such hard times with all Prophet, peace be upon him, seen, he assured that, you know, that we have to be, uh, we should not be fighting, we should have, we should show a true steadfastness and we have to, you know, show patience. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, showed that the main thing to remember is that when Muslims, believers are faced by trials, their main goal should be to worship Allah the Almighty. When the believers from his force were having a fight and were fighting for their lives, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, remained calm and bowed down to our Lord to guide the disbelievers to their right path. Not only this, but his main reason for anxiety was also that he was you know, concerned that if something happened to the first 313 Muslims who fought the first battle, there were no one left in the world to worship Allah and to help spread the true message of Islam. Regarding, regardless of any trial, instead of focusing to be out of danger, our Prophet, peace be upon him, was concerned about the progression of the message of Islam and the worship of God. This could also be applied our trials in our life today when we are faced by exams or hard tasks at work that as shown by the Holy Prophet peace be upon him our main aim should be to follow the Moses in, in spiritual example Islam has put in front of us and we should have to follow the same path of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him we have to spread the message of peace we are the believers of the promised Messiah who was the founder of Ahmadiyya Muslim community the main purpose once again was to connect people to God Almighty, to tell people that God still speaks and again to spread the message of Islam to the corners of the world. There are many of us are putting their share. If we are lacking in any way, we should look into it 
and once again we should uh, we should put uh, all our efforts to spread a message of islam which was brought by the holy prophet peace be upon him this is the message of allah the almighty allah taala wanted to be known now by all everyone living in this world and we being an ahmadi muslim we have responsibility to make sure that we are fulfilling our responsibilities and spreading the true message of islam so may allah all of us to enable us to do so uh, and and fulfill our responsibilities at the end i would like to thank the producers of today's show tahdia hasan and laiba mubashir and technical team working behind the scenes and i hope you have joined you have enjoyed today's show we have discussed two different topics in the first hour we have discussed about education it is very important for lasting peace to understand everything to comprehend and to know what's going on and to to, to gain knowledge about everything and second i will discuss the holy prophet peace be upon him and the spread of islam i hope you have benefited from this until next time assalamu alaikum peace be upon you all